continue uh, on with that is so in 2015 you know this is where i learned a lot of my knocks and scrapes and bruises you know we had 2015 we did 100 million and then um you know the following year we lost 40 million dollars you know and um the, the the drop was dramatic and you know we made 90 percent of our income was from insurance companies from you know anthem cigna Aetna, united healthcare all the big the big five basically and they decided that you know which happens is they did what's called a prepayment review and they stopped paying welcome to the building to scale podcast where we bring real entrepreneur stories that showcase the challenges and successes in building and scaling an entrepreneurial business our host jeff chastain is a business transformation coach with admentis where he coaches business leaders and their teams with a proven set of principles and tools helping them gain clarity in and get more of what they want from their business Make sure to stick around until the end of the show, and we will reveal how you can become our next guest. Hello, everyone. Jeff Chastain here with the Building to Scale podcast again, where I get the opportunity to speak with entrepreneurial business leaders and influencers, hearing both their stories of challenges and success where they were able to grow and scale their business to where it is today. Now, today we've got Mark Shandro here with Asana Recovery, a residential treatment center out in California. And... Not a lot of detail there, Mark. So why don't you first off, welcome to the show and then fill us in a little bit more on, on what Asana is and what your mission is there. Perfect. Thanks a lot, Jeff, for having me. I really appreciate it. It's great to be able to get out there and get the word out about substance abuse. You know, Asana Recovery is a residential treatment center, as you mentioned here in Orange County. And what that means is people that are suffering from alcohol addiction, drug addiction, you know, are looking, and it's pretty serious, and are looking for an inpatient program, which means that they come to us, you know, they might fly in from another state, they might drive in locally, but a lot of times they're coming in from, you know, Texas, uh, Arizona, you know, New York, New Jersey, you know, all around the United States, they're coming in and they're staying with us between 30 and 90 days. And what we're doing is we're helping them first what's called a medical detox, going through a medical detox where we're getting the drugs out of their system. And it's fully, you know, we have a full medical team. So, you know, they might be getting, you know, Valium or other kind of, you know, drugs to help them get off of whether it's heroin, methamphetamines or alcohol. You know, alcohol is a big thing because you can get seizures if you come off it too fast and watch them, we monitor them. And then once they go through that process, they go into what's called a residential program and we work with them you know with therapists with case managers with group therapy you know to really better understand what their underlying what the disease is all about and what their underlying program their issues are you know it could be trauma it could be you know they've lost someone you know important in their life and they've turned to substance abuse to cover that up it could be child abuse you know the ptsd and really kind of work on them through those and then finally really giving them life skills to de deal with their addiction and deal with their you know and then maintain their sobriety and maintain recovery and getting back into society being a you know productive member of of the community whether it's getting a job or going to school or you know getting back to your family you know anything like that just so that they can get back to their life without without drugs and alcohol yeah makes sense and unfortunately obviously being in the middle of a pandemic right now that's that's probably a uptick in business and that's it's one of those sides that there's there's always going to be fluctuations in the market fluctuations and changes and kind of being situated at the right time whether it's good or bad to help people but still being situated in the right time it's probably a 
a, a good position to be in at the moment, I'd, I'd say. Yeah, so, yeah. My mental health is going through the roof and it's really unfortunate, but suicide rates and drug abuse and alcohol, you know, it's really, I mean, next year, you know, I'm anticipating it to even be worse, unfortunately. Yeah, no, it's this, this pandemic's, it, it's new and, and impacting a lot of people in a lot of ways that I don't know that we even realize right now. But um, so we talked a little bit beforehand and obviously your, your background or you said your background is not necessarily medical. So how did you get to Asana? How'd you get to where you are right now? What's, what's some of the backstory there for, for your journey from a business standpoint? Yeah, no problem. You know, I've, I've, you know, I went to, you know, I'm, I'm back. I grew up back East University of New Hampshire and went to economic school and their Whittemore school of business. And, and I've always wanted to get into business, you know, in college, I, you know, I was, uh, you know, painting, I started a painting company, you know, me and a couple of buddies, you know, doing painting, you know, uh, you know, exterior painting for houses during the summertime. And that really got me into understanding business a little bit from like an operating point of view. So I did that. It paid for me to, to go to school and help me kind of understand, you know, marketing and sales and, you know, and then running a staff and, you know, of course, doing all the financials and the insurance and the legal and really kind of understanding the complex components of a business. Then I came to California, got involved in a nonprofit world, which is what I wanted to do as well, you know, trying to make the world a better place. You know, it was very idealistic and uh, came here to California and started a nonprofit where I was a lobbyist and, you know, um, raised money, raised several million dollars for bicycle transportation. And we started one of the first bike parking facilities here in Long Beach. I raised, I worked for, you know, from Washington, DC to, uh, to, you know, I had a lot of city clients, you know, Berkeley, San Francisco, and was traveling around the country promoting alternative transportation. And then, you know, at the same time on the weekends, I was buying real estate. And I was buying apartment buildings. You know, I had a great mentor of mine who was a real estate tycoon and kind of taught me the ropes. And I would ride my bike literally around on the weekends and look for abandoned properties. You know, I would, I would, you know, and then I'd find them. And then this was before the internet, really, you know, so you'd have to go to the county, you'd have to look up who owned the house, you know, then you send them a letter, I'd send them a handwritten letter. And, you know, I bought and I look in classified. So I bought a bunch of property that way and eventually rolled into full-time real estate and uh, ran a very successful real estate brokerage. After that, took me a little while. You know, I was up to selling about 130, 140 homes a year, primarily bank-owned properties, you know, work with, you know, the likes of Lehman Brothers and Bank of America and Chase, you know, doing asset disposition. disposition. You know, we're at a small team. They would go around, they would renovate the houses. We'd get them ready and we'd sell them. And then as the market was dropping, you know, I had a good chance, a friend of mine from Whittemore School of Business back at University of New Hampshire has struggled with heroin addiction for a long time and actually came to California. Here in Orange County and in Florida are the two primary places in the United States that have the highest density of alcohol and drug treatment programs, you know, primarily because of the weather. A lot of people like to get out of, you know, if they're in Michigan and in the wintertime, you know, they want to get they want to get somewhere else. You know, they want to, you know, they want to go to somewhere sunny. And he came here, got sober and kind of called me up. I was like, hey, Mark, I want to, I want to do this. I want to raise some money. Can you help me do that? And, and, you know, we, we couldn't get any money to put anybody, put, get anyone to put any money together. They're all like, he's a crackhead. I mean, why would we want to give you money? You know, and he was just a pretty exceptional business guy. And, you know, ironically, I, I put in, $5,000 and a $15,000 loan 
uh, he did the same and we had a third partner. And actually in 2000 and 2015, we did $120 million in sales. You know, wow. the, you know, the company just blew up, you know, blew up in eight years. We became the second fastest growing business in Orange County. We had 1,650 employees. And I went from being kind of a small real estate broker to a full on uh, healthcare executive, you know, running, you know, I was running all of the emissions and the sales and the marketing, spending a couple million dollars a month, bringing in clients and, you know, kind of went from there. So obviously that was the company before Asana, right? That was, yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, just to kind of continue uh, on with that is, so in 2015, you know, this is where I learned a lot of my knocks and scrapes and bruises, you know, we had 2015, we did hundred million. And then, um, you know, the following year we lost $40 million, you know, and um, the, the, the drop was dramatic. And, you know, we made 90% of our income was from insurance companies from, you know, Anthem, Cigna, Aetna, United Healthcare, all the big, the big five, basically. And they decided that, you know, what happens is they did what's called a prepayment review and they stopped paying. They all stopped paying at once. Three of them stopped paying once. And then, you know, we were burning about, uh, about $2 million a week was our, our weekly burn. And, you know, if you're burning through $2 million a week and you're bringing in half a million, you know, a million, you go through cash fast. And that's what we did. We went through, you know, we went through all of our capital. Um, we ended up getting a bank loan. And this is the only time that I did a personal guarantee, which I, you know, learned. Uh, that's one of the hard lessons. Try not to do personal guarantees. <laughs> you know, I did a personal guarantee, all of us. And we signed up and got a, a lender to provide some financing for us. And, they can, and then we went through that money in six weeks. And then we were strapped. And because of a lot of the different laws out there, uh, you know, we couldn't consolidate fast enough. Having 1,600 employees, you know, it's really hard to, to shrink. And we just started selling everything. And we couldn't really break off a lot of the parts of the company. And, you know, we had, we had, we had over 400 beds. They were located here in Orange County. They were in Nevada. They were in Texas. And, you know, they were all collateralized by this lender. You know, the lender had everything. And so we couldn't sell off pieces of the, of the real estate. We couldn't sell off the businesses to raise capital because it was collateral and the bank wouldn't let us do it. Makes sense. Yep. So switching over to Asana then now, what's, what's your, obviously going through that and still the same type of business, type of business yep. model, which, what's your, what's your different approach? How, how are you doing things different now? Yeah, good question. You know, I think, you know, the different approach for me is prime, you know, the biggest one is. Uh, you know, from a personal point of view is I, you know, I, I never wanted to be a health care executive. <laughs> you know, I didn't, you know, I don't want to have to wear a suit every day to work. I didn't want to run, uh, you know, hundreds of employees. It just kind of happened, you know, I mean, the, with the market it hit right, you know, we had a good product and we ran at it, you know, and my, my ex-partner at the time was, you know, he was the CEO. I was a, you know, chief marketing officer and he was full steam ahead and um, I, I think this time I'm more interested in keeping it smaller, you know, keeping it, um, you know, program that I can manage. I get to know all the employees. I get to know, you know, the clients on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And, you know, I work, you know, a few hours a day instead of 10 to 12 hours a day. You know, I really decided to change, you know, trade my lifestyle. And yeah. that's, that's been the biggest thing. And also having a little bit more direct impact on the clients and having a smaller program 
that allow, allows much more individualized care. And I think our results are better. No, it makes sense. Cause yeah, like you said, you can, you can't effectively grow too fast. You can, you can scale up too fast kind of a thing there. And it's, unless you've really got the systems and the foundation in place, then, then you can lose control of it pretty easily. Kind of a thing. Almost you know, imagine driving a car or whatever there, that at some point you're going to start losing traction on the road, slipping, things like that. And I guess the other thing that you kind of pulled out was that almost the, the outside dependency, like you were talking about the insurance companies, because I've seen other companies there before. If you get too leveraged on something effectively, you got no control over. No then control. You're, yeah, you're, you're in trouble at that point if something changes. And I've seen a lot of those actually just here with this pandemic kind of a stuff. It's like, okay, global pandemic, you hit the, the restaurant industry or the, the, uh, the, the event booking kind of industry. It's like, okay, how well can you pivot? And there's going to be challenges, at least in business, no matter what time it is, whether it's a global pandemic or it's just something more localized and the, the ability to be still looking far enough ahead and, and flexible enough. I don't know if you were able to see any of that kind of thing coming or whether that was more like the pandemic that was just an overnight shutdown, but any, any kind of visibility there? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. You, you, you know, we made, we, had, we made a lot of mistakes. I mean, you know, you hit the nail right on the head. We grew way too fast, way too fast. And, you know, everyone likes to make the analogy. It was like, you know, we're building the 747 while it was in the air, you know? And, uh, you know, we didn't have the systems in place. We didn't have the checks and balances in place. We made a lot of mistakes with our expansion and the way that we structured our financing. You know, essentially we were growing and we were pouring all of our, you know, our profits back into growth and not putting them aside for the rainy day or, or the hit, not putting six month reserves in the bank. And then, you know, when, you know, when, when, you know, when the payers stopped paying, we had no back, we had no backup, right? We had no yeah. capital and we should have, you know, we should have slow growth, grew slower, of course, grew slower, of course. And we also should have, you know, properly financed our expansion, you know, and, and use financing instead of, you know, our own uh, profit. Yeah. Which allowed us to put the money in the bank and we would have, we would have weathered the storm. And, you know, the company would be probably around today, maybe half its size, but it was, you know, it had a, you know, it had a, uh, you know, it was about a 40 million a year EBITDA, you know, I mean, it was, it was, it was a highly profitable company, but when you're taking that money and you're pouring it back in, it's a zero EBITDA. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, cause that's, that's really the thing that there's going to be changes. Those are going to be the storms on the horizon, no matter what, whatever business kind of a thing, something's going to change, whether it's as simple as just a key employee leaving or a, a market shift or whatever like that. So yeah, it's, it's doing that kind of pre-planning is, it's really easy to sit there and say, hey, things like you said, they're, they're moving. Hey, keep pumping money in this. Keep moving it faster kind of thing. And you got to be careful of going too fast that there's, there's right. a, a happy medium in the middle. And you're always trying to justify it to yourself. I could take this money out and I could put it in the stock market and get this. But I know that I could put it back in our company and we can get 100 times growth in a year. And, you know, that kind of mentality is it's it's, you know, it's addicting. You know, yeah. you're. You're, you're, and, you know, and if you don't have the proper financing set up for when, you know, you know, stuff goes crazy and you don't have the money in the bank, you know, it's, 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 it's I mean, it's, it's very stressful, <laughs> especially yeah. laying off hundreds of people is never fun. Yeah, you know? no, that's, that's for sure. So go back to uh, Asana here for, for a minute, back to current day. Tell me a little bit more about your, your current role, because you said you were a little bit more of a sales marketing background. Obviously not yeah. necessarily the health background, but at the same time, you're CEO over a, a health company, basically. Yep. So, yeah. so what's, yeah. what's what's the day in the 
day in the world of Mark look like these days? Okay, good. Yeah, that's a good question. Day in life, you know, well, the good news is, you know, I started this company with my brother, you know, and he worked for me also in, in the other company. And, you know, you know, what we focus on, you know, my, like I said, you know, I'm the CEO, but my primary responsibilities tend to be around sales and marketing, you know, running our Google ad campaigns, running our business development campaigns, um, you know, working and reaching out to past clients, and then, you know, running the financial side, you know, the, the side last time that kind of, you know, got us in trouble and really understanding and creating and developing strong relationships with these payers so that we don't see anything come out of the kind of the blind side. So, you know, and then, and then surrounding myself with people that are much smarter than me in operations, you know, that's the key, you know, I, I want to be the dumb guy in the room, you know, I don't want to be the, the genius you know, although I'm not, you know, I don't want to be the one that, you know, is, is so, you know, I think that's the most important thing. Our, our clinical team, our medical team, they know way more about, uh, you know, this disease than I will ever. They've all been to school. They all have proven track records and, you know, let them do their job. And my job is to work with my admissions team and doing the marketing and having them answer the phone and running our scripts and dialogues and converting and bringing the clients in and then letting them kind of do their thing. So, you know, in terms of a day in the life of me, it's really um, in terms of work, it's, you know, I'm on a 9.30 leadership meeting call with my team for a half hour. Then I might spend another a few hours um, working with my, you know, Google AdWords guy, you know, and doing some SEO work, you know, primarily online, running our, our marketing campaigns, and then trying to, you know, end the day around one o'clock. Yeah, can't beat that kind of schedule. But no, I like what you're saying about not being the smartest person in the room, because a lot of times I forget what the, the saying, the exact verbiage of it is. But basically, yeah, that if you're the smartest one there, you're in the wrong room kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. Got, to, got to always have people around you. And really, that's one of the keys almost to anything of having a, a growing business that if you're if you're the smartest one, if you're the one controlling all the strings, everything right there, then it's it's never going to be a, a growing business. You're basically nope. hamstringing. And your then own when company you go on vacation point. or you want to step out, it's falls apart. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and you want people to, I mean, it's all about leverage, right. To get to the size, to get growth, like you were talking about to, you know, to, you've got to leverage, you have to leverage and you got to realize that you're not, you know, you're not, you got X number of days, hours in the day, and you've got to really leverage it. You know, what really turned me on to this, and this was probably 20 years ago was, you know, you, I'm sure you've read it, Tim Ferriss's four hour work week, you know, I completely changed my thinking on how to be an entrepreneur, how to be a businessman and how to grow and scale the business. Yeah. And it's, it's really the key to scaling. Cause if, if, like I said, if you're trying to do it all, if you can't delegate, if you can't leverage that off to other people that have the expertise, then yeah, you're never going to be able to scale it. So if you were to look at, and granted, it's kind of hard these days, but look at a year down the road or five years down the road, what, what do things look like from a, from Asana's perspective or from your perspective? You know, that's a good question. You know, I, I, you know, we're always building our business to sell. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's how I think now is no matter what, whether we sell or not, I'm always building it to sell, you know, with audited financials, with, you know, a really cl clear mission, vision, value, good EBITDA. So it's always doing that. So, you know, for us, it's getting to a point where it's generating a couple million dollars in EBITDA for my brother and I, and uh, has a really strong clinical program. We have a great reputation and it's very acquirable. And in this business, it's, it's contracts with the providers. It's good facilities, you know, real estate that's, you know, kind of easy to work with that we own. And it is, you know, a good alumni. 
system. So having those in place, so I would say three to five years, we want to be the number one um, in terms of we want to be best in class here in Orange County. We want to be the kind of program that people are clamoring to get into, that we have a wait list. And the benefit of that is I can reduce my marketing spend as well. You know, you can, you know, and, and so that increases your your margins and, and helping, you know, we like to, you know, we bring in 30, 30 to 40 clients every month, you know, so right now we're at three, 300 or so, 400, you know, and helping 500 to 750 uh, clients every year, you know, getting people sober, getting them back in their life and, and not having such a large business, something that's very manageable. And then something that possibly we can replicate in different communities. You know, you, you build this model, you work it for a little bit, get it refined, and think about expanding into into different geographic areas or selling it and doing something else. Yeah, and I, I like the idea of always keeping the the sale in mind in the future, kind of a thing, because that's too many people just are focused on the day to day of the business, kind of a thing. It's like, okay, whether you sell it or not, at some point you're going to exit the business one way or the other, and you have to. If the business yeah. is only you. There's no value at all there. So yeah, keeping that in mind and having that focus from really from early on. It's like, okay, how am I building this to exit out of it at some point in some stage right there, even if you, if you do or don't, but yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, I mean, just as simply, it starts with your P&L, right? And a lot of times, I mean, it's just as simple as that and making sure you have clean books, right? And making sure for us in, in this industry, the biggest issue is the insurance payments, right? So having a very transparent and easy to follow accounts receivables. Yeah. Right? Because it's all about the AR. You know, if you can't dig into and analyze and get a really good sense of what your real reimbursement rate is, you're never going to sell. Yeah. And that's that's one where a lot of business owners, unfortunately, struggle is on the financial side because we're not we don't have that background. So it's like you've got much more of that background. But yeah, it's finding a, a good accountant or a good CPA, whatever kind of a thing there to make sure that those are clean. Because, yeah, that's that's that'll get you in trouble. It's unfortunately not a matter of just met looking at the bank account balance and saying, hey, we got no, money in the bank. No, no. no <laughs> you, you, need, you need to understand your cash flow statements. You need to understand your balance sheet. And of course, you need to understand your PL. And now you have to do budgeting. You know, I mean, you know, I do, but we do budgeting every month. We have a budget meeting every week and making sure that, you know, you're driving the ship correctly because the worst, it's so easy to, you can, and, and things have got to be in real time, right? You know, it's it. If you're looking at financial statements that are 30 days old, it's like too late. Yeah, it's too late. You know, I mean, you need stuff that's to the day. I think you know, for me, it's to the day. You know, maybe bigger businesses to the week, but you've got to have something that's very current. Or you know, this ship is. I mean, one degree off, and you're 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 gone, right? Well, it goes back to what you originally started talking about. About okay, if you've got real numbers, if you've got real data, you can hopefully see trends that are happening. What's coming on in the future, That's rather right. than being surprised about it, because hey, our data is thirty days old, our data is sixty days old. If we knew this a month ago or two months ago, we might have been able to make a change or make exactly. a course correction. Whereas exactly. if we're too late or don't have the data, then yeah, yeah you're setting yourself up that way for yeah things I mean, much better to happen. I mean, data is—it's all about the data. You know, it, and it's from every part of the business, not only the financial side, but, you know, the lead generation side, the, uh, the quality of treatment side in terms of, you know, what our, our graduation rate is, you know, all of those numbers, you got to know your metrics, you have to, yeah. you know, and you know what you're, I mean, all of them, you know, through the whole system from the beginning to the end. 
Gotcha. Yeah. And that's, that's actually one of the, the big things that we're always talking with, with EOS and with working with clients is having a scorecard that you can see numbers of all aspects of the business and be able to see, Hey, well, what's going on at a snapshot. You don't have to get down in the trenches. You, you just see, Hey, I've got my scorecard. I've got these numbers that are all green. Business must be operating pretty good. I can see the trends, yep. things yep. like that. But yeah, being able to run on numbers is, is key. And unfortunately too many entrepreneurial kind of types are gut feel of, hey, I, I think this sounds like a good direction to go, or hey, this sounds like a, a good venture to jump into, like you said, without having those numbers, without having the facts to back it up. So that's that's definitely and, huge. Yeah. And, and for myself, who you know does a lot of the sales and marketing, I want to know what's the pipeline like? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I need to know the pipeline, you know, and I need to know all the phases of the pipeline and all the conversion rates and the cost of those conversions, you know, because that's what is going to lead your ship you know if if you don't have those numbers you don't understand them you're not going to see where the future is you can't even predict it right if you if you don't know what that pipeline looks like i mean you're 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 kind of honestly you're operating blind yeah you really are at that point so kind of bringing this back around wrapping it up here um what's your kind of best tip strategy anything that you might wish you'd known a little bit earlier before before today or before some of your some of your journey here Good question. Uh, you know, I think the biggest one is pull cash out. I mean, you know, businesses to generate cash for you, pull it out, pull out as much as you can without suffocating the business and put it in the bank and keep it cash. I mean, you don't need, don't reinvest it. Or, you know, if you want to do small investment, yeah, but you know, that's the whole purpose of the business is to generate profit for you. And if you're not looking at that, I mean, you're going to continue to keep pouring into the business. And then one day you're going to look and you're going to be like, I have nothing in the bank. You know, I have this business that's just consuming cash and, you know, I'm kind of stuck. Yeah, no, definitely. So it's, it's again, that long-term game there, long-term game that you're playing towards too. So definitely appreciate the time. Don't want to cut this short, but I, like I said, I appreciate the time. Um, if if uh, listeners are wanting to learn more about you, learn more about the business, where can they go find some more information for you? Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Uh, you know, just honestly, go online. You can check out our website. I have my contact information there. Feel free to reach out, and I'm I'm happy to help. You know, anyone, and you know, share any ideas or brainstorm or what have you. Yep, and we'll put all that all that in the show notes. So those those links will be there and directly to the website. So, I appreciate the time here. Appreciate the conversation. It was a good conversation, and I appreciate it again just having time with us today, helping out. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Building to Scale podcast. If you would like to share your entrepreneurial business growth story, please visit buildingtoscale.com slash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you do both us and our guest a favor and share it on your social media accounts? Don't forget to hit subscribe in your player so that you don't miss any future episodes and make sure to reach out to Jeff Chastain on any of the major social media networks or check us out at admentis.com. Oh,